two. The Bearcat Bounce Podcast back at it again. Aaron Smith. What up, what up? How are we, my man? Man, it was a long weekend. I had to go to a wedding, and let me tell you, I don't know how your wedding was that you went to. Okay. Social distancing at weddings is not a thing. Oh, man. At all. And apparently buffet-style serving is still a wow. thing. Okay. So, um, we left before dinner, and we got out of there. Like, Wow. Look at I you think- making the the noble decision. But uh, speaking of noble decisions and, and social distancing, uh, one, one big thing this weekend was uh, – that Cincinnati defense truly uh, not letting any social distance for the Memphis offense uh, aside from one play. What if, I, 49 to 10 two, victory? I, Aaron, two plays, Aaron, 49 to 10. It was crazy. Aaron, 49 to 10. That's it all was, I got to say. I didn't expect that type of a margin of victory. I expected us to win. I mean, I put in our prediction piece that we were going to win, I think, 38 17. So I expected like, right. it to be a fair amount of, of margin. But yeah. I did not expect Jerome Ford to go off at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, it, it was it, it was I, where do how do we pick this part, man? We dive right in. We I, you, you know that so the game started off. I, I'm not gonna lie. I was nervous during this game for maybe ten minutes, maybe oh. maybe five to ten minutes, and that was just when three and out, you know, four and out for the opening offensive drive. And then punting it to Memphis. That was the only moment of the entire game that I was a little nervous, to be honest with you. Because after that, defense really flexed. And then the offense got the ball back. And we saw a a reconnection that will be one that we hopefully talk for for the rest of this season and all of next season between Desmond Ritter and Alec Pierce. I'll tell you what. If last week wasn't Desmond Ritter's coming out party, this week was like – Yep. He's back. He's back in full force. He's running. He's making good decisions with the ball. He doesn't yep. really – I didn't really feel like he was forcing it in outside of maybe that yep. one interception. But, I mean, yeah. it, he was making very sound decisions. I mean, I think he finished, what, 21 of 26 for the day? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, he, he was doing everything that we could have ever asked of him. And we were saying the same thing last week. So, here he is putting back-to-back fantastic performances out there for us to look at. Last week, he did a little bit more with his legs. This week, he did what he needed to with his legs and mm-hmm. did the rest with his arm. I said in my prediction piece, he was going to have over 250 yards. Went ahead and good. He, he made me a, look like I knew what I was talking about. Wow, you're a pretty smart guy. Don't you love when it works out that way for you? Yeah, I mean, you- I, was, I was way off on the on the dokes having more receiving yards than uh, rushing yards, but it, it still worked out. Hey, you know, can't win you, them all. <laughs> yeah, you can't win them all. But talk about that. 43-yard touchdown catch by Alec Pierce. So the ball was put in a spot where it it pretty much was going to be a very difficult catch for a wide receiver to make that is not as athletically talented and has the ability to really stretch and, and extend to catch that ball. Because if you look at it, the defender goes from behind for Memphis. He is excited and he's looking to see, okay, maybe this will be an interception that falls into my hands before Alec Pierce gets it, before it comes down with it. You know, we mentioned it on this pod a little bit, and it, it kind of got some scrutiny on on the board about just the overall catch radius of wide receivers that is missing with this crew until Alec Pierce came back. And right there, that 43-yard touchdown reception was just full-on evidence 
of the talent of a deep ball threat that Alec Pierce is. Absolutely. You love to see the kid back. He climbed the ladder. He did what needed to be done, caught it at its highest point, went above the defender to go in, up and grab it, really. And then to see him go out later on in the game with the injury, you're just like, man. Right. Man. You know, but I mean, we, I mean, we didn't need him the rest of the game. No knock on him, but, you know, we yeah. got the job done. And, uh, you know, we hope to see him back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it seems like hopefully just an injury that will be back. You know, obviously that's above our pay grade, as Chad always says, when it comes <laughs> to those with Bearcat Journal. So that is above my pay grade and yours as well, Aaron, unless yes, you want sir. to dive into that. But yeah, I'm good. You, you talk about that one good play offensively that Memphis had, and that was that that big touchdown reception, 92 yards on the screen pass. Taj Washington. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and that's just one of those situations where Memphis is good. Memphis is a very good football team. I, I mean, they hung 50 against UCF. Their lone loss against SMU was a big comeback by them. They almost pulled off that win there. And if they would have won that game, they might have walked into Cincinnati as, a, as another top 10 team, definitely in the top 15 in the country. But you saw that ability that they had on the outside. But that was the lone – you take away that 92-yard reception – they have 63 yards of total offense in the first half. Not to mention later on in the game, the 40, I think it was a 43 yard um, reception as well. You take away that play and their offense looks honestly terrible. I think they finished with five yards rushing. I mean, Brady white looked confused. He looked shaken up. He looked uncomfortable and that's not the Brady white that we saw in back-to-back games last year. And it was, Really good to be on a on a different side of that this this year as opposed to last year. You know, I, and Luke Fickle talked about it. Kind of the whole entire, you know, did not call it revenge, called it redemption. You know, two two losses last season. You know, it kind of reminds me of the uh, of the Dumb and Dumber quote. You know, it's it's just when I think you couldn't get any stupider, you turn around and do this and totally redeem yourself. I, you know just win two straight losses and all of a sudden you're facing this Memphis team, not really too much doubt heading into the game for, for myself, but probably some you saw on college game day, uh, a couple of people actually picked Memphis to give Cincinnati a run for a money. One of them picked Memphis to win. I believe it was David Pollock, to, you know, so, so take notice, take notice, but a little bit of a redemption factor there. And did you, see that he actually, did you see that he actually apologized for that? Did he? Yeah. Good. As he should. You want to hear a funny story? Ready. Boys. Go on. Standing um, down towards the end zone at the end of the game, and uh, the coaches were coming out of the press box, the coaches that are up in the press box. And one of those coaches who might have his name on a wall somewhere uh, in the stadium walked by within shouting distance and said, tell David Pollock, kiss my ass. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, Sorry, I believe that guy that you're referencing, he, he might've twirled the ball around a good amount back in the day. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so he's, he's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good he was, player. He's pretty solid. Um, I, I, the, the, I mean, it, it's like, it, you know, it's like watching the Jordan documentary or whatever, right? Like yeah. everybody, that has that high level, not everybody, but most everybody that has that high level of success uh, is very cognizant of everything that's said about them. 
Yeah. They are very aware of disrespect, uh, you know, perceived or real. And if somebody picks against you, that is uh, seen as disrespect. And he, uh, he, he noticed he was watching game day this morning or somebody sent him the clip. Yeah. Because uh, I yesterday would guess morning. yesterday morning, I, I, I would guess uh, Luke Fickle probably maybe mentioned that in the locker room. Yeah. Uh, before they took the field on, on Saturday. So I just thought that was funny. Tell David Pollock to kiss my ass. And, like, like, like I, you know, I'm just going to call him. Hey, Dave, <laughs> just want to let you know. Well, <laughs> my, well, my first thing was actually, can I tweet that? Yeah, please. <laughs> well, I, you, you know, in, in this certain coach you're mentioning is in charge of the one piece of the entire team that kind of, you know, so that, that, that bit of a question mark surrounding it, which is a passing game. And you look at it after that touchdown, speaking of redemption, by Memphis, Cincinnati comes back and they they're able to put together a fantastic drive and and came up with a great response in in the touchdown run by Desmond Ritter. But the big play of that was the last play of the first quarter was the fourth down completion from Desmond Ritter to Alec Pierce, seven yards on a fourth and four from the Memphis 29. You know, if, if they don't get that and Memphis gets the ball back. Who knows where the momentum is in that game, but that's just a little bit of the confidence that Desmond Ritter has firing it into Alec Pierce on a fourth and four situation. Listen, I mean, we, we talked early in the season about Desmond Ritter and the question mark that he was, he's come out and, you know, he was all over the place at the beginning of the season. He was missing guys. He wasn't putting the ball where it needed to be. And now kind of getting his comfort blanket back. Yep. in Alec Pierce, and I feel like this week we saw a whole different Desmond Ritter, and as long as that confidence continues to carry over, I mean, it's not unfathomable to think that you're going to see NFL scouts checking out Desmond Ritter. We've seen the NFL kind of change in how they perceive a running quarterback, right. looking at Lamar Jackson, looking at Josh Allen, who had made a huge jump from his mm-hmm. first year, and now I don't think it's complete crazy talk to talk about Desmond Ritter having NFL prospect looking at him. He, I completely agree with you. He had, he is out there on radars. You saw a couple of, of board talks, draft board talks, and, and he's considered one of the top quarterbacks that are underclassmen that, you know, could, could be eligible for the draft this year if they wanted, but more than likely to come back. He's, he's on those lists. And we nitpick them because we see every single play. We we want to see, you know, we're used to just firing the ball around and, and high passing numbers, but it is the dynamic that he has to run the football. That added dynamic is it's crazy how quick he can get to the edge. You know, it doesn't look like he's running that fast, but his strides just get yeah. him from point A to point B quicker than any quarterback that I can really remember. Definitely not any other quarterback in UC's history that I can remember. Um, And even looking around the conference, I don't know that anybody stride for stride can match what Desmond Ritter brings to the table. Yeah. So I, but, and then you look at it when, when you respond like that offensively with the touchdown to start off that second quarter, that's when your defense, you know, you gave up that one big play and then they just really flex. I, I I mean, they give up a, a quick, penalty for holding against Ahmad Sauce Gardner officials. We're going to talk about the AAC officials when we dive into that ECU Tulsa game, which was yes, crazy, but you know, it's, it's kind of just great to see how the defense then 
they, they had just that strength to step up. And, you know, Marcus Brown with a big sack of Brady White on the next set of downs. And then, it, you know, a couple of punts back and forth, and it leads to one more scoring drive for the Bearcats before halftime. And yet again, you see Desmond Rigger get it done with his arm. You see a, a heavy balance of Jared Dokes and, and a couple of drone board runs. And then that pass from, from Desmond Ritter to Michael Young was just on the spot. Oh yeah. He, he put it where afterwards. He put it only <laughs> he, he put it where only Michael Young could go get it though. And again, we weren't talking about Desmond Ritter being even able to do anything like that at the beginning of the season. And here he is threading a needle. Like it was, it's crazy to see the evolution of Desmond Ritter this season when we need him to be there, especially in these big games with, you know, within the conference. And then, you know, 21 to 10 with a Riley Patterson field goal to end the first half. You know, and, and at halftime, even though the score was 21 to 10, it kind of felt like it was one of those games where, you know, kind of the same against Army where, it seemed like Cincinnati should have been up by a lot more than just, you know, 11 points at that moment, especially with Memphis getting the ball back to start the second half. But that's when you saw in the second half, Memphis started moving the football. You know, they, they picked up some good chunk plays. And then that's when they did the first of three straight drives that ended on failed four point, pardon me, failed fourth down conversion. So a fourth and two and, and just that pass rush by, the Cincinnati the defensive line was just fantastic, flustering Brady White. First off, Brady White slid on that third down and seven, like two yards too soon when he could have easily just gone two more further okay. yards. But that's just the the fear of what this defense brings and really just hitting him in the mouth. And then you see the fourth and two failed conversion. And that's kind of when Cincinnati just took control of the game was after that. I mean, when you go into the second half as Memphis and the commentators were talking about, I know you're up in the, in the booth right. right now, but the commentators were talking about how frustrated Memphis was on their sidelines, especially the defense. Mm -hmm. And you had turnover on downs for their first drive of the second half, turnover yep. on downs for the second drive of the second half, yep. turnover on downs. They're the same as do as a fumble recovery. They're the same as right. an interception. I mean, yep. it's, so redeeming for the defense to run back to the sidelines knowing we just stopped them and they don't even get the punt. Like we, yep. just, we, we stopped them. We shut them down on, you know, things that like a fourth down conversion that you, it's not long on most of them. No. So, you know, it was, it was just really good to see the defense do exactly what they had to do, especially in the red zone. Four for 16 on third down. Oh, for three on fourth down. Oh, for one in the red zone. That's, that is just, stepping up defensively when you need to just a fantastic job but you know you you then touch on another deep ball completion that Desmond Ritter had to Jason Jackson in that next set of downs and Jason just really laying out for that one as well and you know it, it seemed like maybe you know everyone wants to talk about putting a little bit more air underneath the ball but these are 43 and 45 yard passes in the air that were just right on the money. As you talk Beautiful. about that, two things I want to bring up on that. Yeah. First and foremost, we all saw how bad the wind was today. Right. Across the country, especially in the Northeast mm -hmm. and what have you. I'm really happy that we played yesterday instead of today. <laughs> all right. right. I want to bring that up. But uh, secondly, I, I, those are the kind of passes that Ritter was missing really yeah. badly earlier in the season. And now he's actually hitting the guys. You can see that the maybe it was the two weeks off. 
where he had some time to work with the receivers and get in that groove, but he's hitting his receivers now and he's putting it where again, only they can get to the ball. And it's just, it's really, really good to see the offense clicking on all cylinders like that. It's, can I, can I add maybe a yes. little something for you guys to discuss? Ready. We've talked about the timing between quarterback and a host of new receivers, which I think is, is accurate. Yes. Nine, I also think nine. I also, yeah. yeah. I, I also think uh, with so many new guys, I think there is also a learning period between offensive coordinator and offense yeah. to where you're finding what routes are right for which guys, what routes, you know, take advantage of what guys abilities. And um, I think we're starting to see that more as well, because I think you're seeing guys in a much more you know comfortable position to make plays when Ritter gets them the ball as Mike Denbrock uh, gets a little bit more comfortable with all these guys and what they're able to do. Discuss. Thanks, dad. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It, and, and a lot of people have mentioned it, how Des is, seems to be extremely accurate in the short to intermediate routes. And that is really where he has been on the money. But now when you add in Alec Pierce and Jayshon Jackson has shown the ability to stretch defenses at times as well. And then you see kind of just a, a little gimmicky type plays for, for Trey Tucker. You, you saw a couple Josh Wiley plays out of the backfield that like, like the Josiah DeGuara in the flat from last year. You saw Lenny Taylor getting to the second level and, and having a good, good reception there. You know, it, and I agree with Chad. It's, it's kind of where at this point, Des knows when this play is called, Leonard Taylor will be open 11 yards down the field, right at the hash mark. And it does seem like that recognition and that, that knowledge of that is exactly where the receiver is going to be. I've seen a fire it there. Like Des said, everything's slowing down for him. He's not really pressuring himself too much. And when you have enough time in the pocket, we're going to talk about the offensive line here in a little bit. When you have enough time in the pocket and you have that recognition, you have that, that connection, that chemistry between the receivers, you're going to be able to fire those balls and get it there quickly. And that's what we saw on Saturday. And not to make excuses, but let's not forget that this is only the sixth game of the season. I know right. COVID makes everything seem like way longer than it's <laughs> so ever been in my so entire weird. life. But, yeah. I mean, normally we'd be in, what, our third game of the interconference scheduling? Right. Whereas we didn't get to see Nebraska. We didn't get to see Miami. Yes, we get to see Austin P. But, I mean, again, you know, to kind of to Chad's point, like that's where we would have been, especially against Miami yeah. and Austin P. Like those were, would be the games that we would be fine-tuning, you know, getting in rhythm and getting, you know, everybody kind of on the same page. And mm -hmm. we just simply didn't really have those cupcake scheduled games yeah. that we normally would have this year. So it's, you know, it's coming a little, it's, it's definitely not too late, but it, you know, it's just taking a little bit of time for the guys to get on the same page from what I've seen. Uh, the defense has been hitting full go all year, but for the offense, it took a little bit longer than the defense. And that's just kind of the difference of having guys who've been in the system as opposed to reworking the entire tight end room last year, yep. reworking the entire receiver room this year. Jared Dokes getting back into the starting role and some of the other guys, you know, Jerome Ford learning the, the system and McClellan kind of learning his new role in the system. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just been everybody kind of try, just figuring out how they fit. And you, I think you got to see that on full display this week. 
Yeah, and and you know, like you said, it's offense is a little different because it does take time to create the chemistry. On defense, these players, like you said, are in their second, third, some some of them fourth, some some even fifth years in this system. Uh, well, four years in the system. Pardon me, that's all the amount of time they've been here. But <laughs> they have that recognition, they have that knowledge of what's going to be happening, and they can go out there and play without thinking because you don't have to have that quarterback to wide receiver connection on defense. You can just know, okay, this is my assignment on this play. I need to go out and just, and just achieve it. And you kind of saw that because of course, Desmond Ritter had that nine yard touchdown scramble. And then on that very next drive was another failed fourth down conversion. And on this fourth down conversion, it was fourth and seven from the Cincinnati 39. And the Bearcats made a quick sub. They brought back in, Pass rush extraordinaire, my Jay Sanders, who had just been on the sideline practicing a famous Halloween dance. And Aaron, he was able to come out and, and, and complete it. My Jay Sanders, a coming out party this entire year, and he did it again on this fourth down. The dude's been an animal, and for the first time, he got to show it on the stat line. I, I feel like it's really been the first time all year that it's really yeah. been broadcast for, for, for full alert on the uh, stat line. I mean, he ended up with six, six tackles, five solo, one and a half sacks, 2.5 tackles for loss, and a quarterback hurry. Only thing and, he was missing really was it just a fumble. Well, and one thriller dance as well. He did have that. Uh, doesn't show on the stat line. Yeah. He certainly made the rounds on Twitter. It's it's like deflections in basketball. It's It's not on the stat sheet, but, you know. We know it's there. Nick loved him. <laughs> Had to bring that up. But, you know, he's, he's really showing. His, his analytical stats are, are off the charts. He's constantly mentioned as one of the best edge rushers. But as you mentioned, the numbers haven't really been there. But, you know, he has had at least half a sack in every game this whole season. And he just continues to be a just huge supplier of force on the outside. And then when you have the push up the middle with the defensive tackles, it's – it's very hard to be comfortable in the pocket on any play if you're an opposing team's quarterback. Well, I mean, and then you talk about the rush game. We finished with five yards, five total yards rushing. And that has everything to do with the defensive line and the linebackers. And it, it was just, I don't know that you legitimately could have asked any more of this defense. They, they no. stopped everyone. You know, Maje had himself a game and for the first time all season, he, was not living in Jarrell White's shadow. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it was just good to see, you know, him have his his moment to shine and this defense just did everything that everyone wanted them to do. And and so following the the fourth down sack, Bearcats just quick work, two minutes and 41 seconds off the clock, five plays, 55 yards, and a completely blown coverage by the Memphis defensive secondary for Trey Tucker wide open in the corner in the second gritty dance, you know, brought out the gritty round two, this time Trey Tucker version. And by the way, Chad needs to somehow get in touch with the video of, of you seeing send it to the gritty creator because uh, gritty, gritty tweeted me gritty gritty yeah. wants the video. I saw that. It's phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the coverage and the, uh, the exposure that the Bearcats, need is is uh mr gritty coming on and uh reaching out to chad brendel of all people saying he needs footage of the two gritty i mean if there's anybody that you know personifies the gritty dance 
it's, it's definitely me. Oh, I've seen you. I've seen you break the gritty down. Where's no. that video? <laughs> <laughs> that video would cost a lot of money. I would do I it. Would. I would do it, but it wouldn't be cheap. How's that? <laughs> uh, well, maybe. I'm not, uh, sure, I'm not even sure it'd be a pretty gritty. Ooh, I see. Oh, I got moves. Maybe a uh, a night after you know the Holy Grail on the banks in the uh, within the next year. Maybe we'll see uh, see if you can break out the gritty. I'm gonna have to to get get Michael Young to give me some lessons. He's he's <laughs> the the master of the gritty, as even Trey Tucker uh, said. Yep. You know, yep. you're the you're the the sensei. <laughs> yes. Of the gritty. So here's, they've been talking about that for a while. Well, yeah. Well, the when they did the when they did the mic'd up the uh, Wired yeah. Wednesday with with Michael Young Jr. That's that's literally all he did the whole entire time was just smile, laugh, and do the gritty. Right. <laughs> that's his that's his go to move for sure. Yes. Yes. It's, well, it, it's fine. It's taking over the NFL, taking over college football, and it only happens when something good happens. So I I hope to see plenty more of the gritty the rest of the season. How about here? Here's the the one thing for me. How about the picture going around of Michael Young doing the gritty with just the biggest giant smile on his face yep. you could ever imagine? Like yeah. these kids are having fun right oh. now. Oh yeah. And how? I mean, how could you not? Given the way that things are going, yes. um, this is a group of guys that are having a lot of fun, especially as this offense finds its rhythm. You know what's funny though? The more and more I talk to the guys on defense. Like, they all kind of still have a chip on their shoulder because I don't think anybody feels like they're getting – like, nobody's putting up big numbers. No. Because it is such a, like, unified team effort. Nobody outside of Jarrell, uh, with what Jarrell has done, right. nobody's really dominating the stat sheet. No. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys that feel like I've got more in me. Yeah. Which is a scary thought for uh, everybody else that's left on the schedule. Well, I mean, we're still kind of disrespected. You look at Kirk Herbstreit and his top teams that he put out today. You look at you know, just kind of around the college football and ESPN especially. Joe and, Klatt had him eighth instead of yeah. BYU at seventh. It's, you know. There's, there's don't pl- don't get me started there. on the parent company. <laughs> <laughs> Putting BYU to... in the NY6 game. Look, man, if you're going to do that job, like you got to know the rules of what you're writing about. You can't put BY like look. You know why it's called the G five? It's a group of five conferences. It's the five conferences that were left out when the other five conferences were granted autonomy. You mean G five G five? So being an independent doesn't put you in the group of five. You have to be in a conference uh, in the group of five to be eligible to to take that group of five bid if you're an independent uh you do not have representation in that in that uh field and you got to know that come on I, I do know that i was it was dripping in sarcasm <laughs> but not thing, you the guy that wrote <laughs> one thing that is not sarcastic by any means was the fact that that touchdown pass to trey tucker was the last completed pass for the Bearcats. And there was only one other pass made the entire rest of the game 
and that was that interception on kind of a little bit of a forced ball to Jaden Thompson that ended up kind of looking like a long punt on first down instead of, you know, you know no harm, no foul type of situation up by so much. So Aaron, we, we break down the stat line that Des Ritter put up and this was in three quarters. This is three quarters of work. I, you know, he could have easily had another 50, 60, maybe even a hundred yards through the air with another touchdown if needed in the fourth quarter, but that uh, 21 of 26 well, how about just through three quarters? 21 of 25, 271 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, the stat that on his stat line that really pops out to me, though, is the fact that his average was 10.4. And when people yeah. were talking about him not going deep, and they were talking about the intermediate throws and the short throws and all of that, he averaged 10.4 because he was actually airing the ball out. You know, right. we got to see his arm, and we haven't really seen his arm all year. He hasn't right. connected on any of those passes. So we got to see it not once, but but twice for huge gains on the <clears throat> on the uh, Jackson and the, the Alec Pierce. Yeah. So it, it's just we got to see everything that we've asked of Desmond Ritter. So I don't know what anybody – literally no one can really criticize his body work at this point this season. Yeah, no doubt. And, and then, of course, you add in the two rushing, touch, two rushing touchdowns on top of it. I mean that's another that's a five touchdown game. I, he has just been dominant the last two weeks against two teams that have great offenses, but question marks on defense. SMU was getting gashed running by opposing teams' rushing attacks, and what did Des Ritter do? He rushed for a career high in yardage, had that long touchdown run that that tied a record for Cincinnati as longest rush in program history. And then you face a Memphis team who was dead last in the country and passing yardage allowed. And what does he do there? He turns on the passing game. So that also tells me Mike Denbrock doing his homework as well. Gino Gadulli sitting down doing his homework as well. You know, everyone is breaking down these defenses and saying, okay, hey, against SMU, we are going to be able to run the football. Well, the great let's, thing too let's, is let's I was go. just going to as we're talking about the uh, passing offense, you know, yeah. the great thing too is the fact that we spread the ball around. It wasn't yeah. just focusing on anybody. He hit, and I, I know I mentioned this when Chad came in earlier, nine different receivers, nine. The only one who had five receptions was Michael Young, and everybody else was four or less. He yeah. just re he really spread the ball around. He wasn't looking or targeting anybody like I talked about earlier. You know, yeah. he just wasn't forcing anything. He just let the game come to him. Yeah, and and – the fact that he's able to do that and the fact that it's starting to come together like this is at, honestly the perfect time because this is the time when those national pundits, the national media that we keep on mentioning is going to be talking about these teams and what do they love to talk about? Sure. They love touching on defenses, good defenses, this, that, and the other, but they love talking about Trevor Lawrence. They love talking about, you know, a, Justin Fields. It's, it's all about the offense. What what can your offense do for me? What what can we talk about that you have offensively? And when Desmond Ritter is putting up the numbers and the touchdowns like he has been the past two weeks, that is going to only help the talks for the Bearcats as a whole because that was the one negative thing kind of brewing about them, not only on the board and around Cincinnati, but around the country was kind of just the, the lack of offense. Are they going to be able to do enough to produce? And the past two weeks has not really left any stones unturned. And that was further emphasized in the fourth quarter when you saw 
Jerome Ford kind of do his best. I, you know, I'm going to say it's kind of like a Michael Warren impression because Michael Warren would get his yardage on big, you know, he'd do, it's, it's like a prize fight. He's going to keep jabbing, you know, little hooks here, jab, jab, jabs. And then once you have the defense on their heels, he's going to break a long one on you. And that's kind of what happened with Jerome Ford in the fourth quarter was that defense of Memphis was just completely beaten up. They were just completely just taken to the woodshed by this Cincinnati offense. And Jerome Ford just took full advantage, kind of doing a little Jose Williams impression against Miami in 2015, coming out of a cloud of dust and just running 48 yards for his second touchdown of the game, finishing with 100 yards, 116 yards and two touchdowns. Aaron, if you have the ability to run dokes the amount they did the first three quarters and a little bit in the fourth, and then all of a sudden you bring in a fresh Jerome Ford with the burst that he has out of the backfield against a defense that is on their heels and a defense that is definitely beaten up. I, I mean, that's just another luxury that this offense has. You're absolutely right as far as that goes. One of the things we noticed last week is Dokes and Ford both put the ball on the ground. And this week, they did not have that issue whatsoever. So it was right. good to see them kind of clean that part of the game up and then also put the numbers up. You know, anybody can put the numbers up, but if you're not holding on to the ball, big problem. So it was, it was real good to see them clean that part of the game up and just Ford kind of have himself a fourth quarter. And then you look at that fourth quarter as well for the defense, and you have the the turnover with the strip sack by James Wiggins, the fumble by Brady White, recovered by Ty Van Fossen, and then with the backups and with the second-string defense still going against Memphis's first-team offense, you see back-to-back plays of Jabari Taylor with a sack. Wilson Huber with a sack. This is just a, a, it speaks to the depth that this team has, and it speaks to just the talent. I, I It's hard to find. Uh, Jabari Taylor, I'm going to say it, could start and probably be one of the best players on any other defense in the AAC. And I I think he has a good chance to start on a bunch of teams throughout the country. And he is he comes in off the bench. You know, he, he does rotate in with the starters. But he has had a fantastic last couple of weeks. And with that sack with the second team just shows you the, the depth of talent that they really do have. Bringing Brady White down is no easy task. And he's shown that all year long as they've hung up crazy offensive numbers. And we ended the game with six sacks on Brady White. Yep. And he is not a, I mean, he's a senior. He's not a quarterback who makes poor decisions. He's not a quarterback who forces the ball in there. And he just, for unfortunately for him, held on to the ball too long, entirely too often in this game. And that goes back to talking about the defensive backs and the coverage. So many of those sacks were coverage sacks. It wasn't just yeah. us getting there. It, it's just the fact that you have such good coverage back there in the secondary. And, you know, I mean, just the defense, again, just doing their job on all levels, all three levels. And then Brandon Thomas and Tim Taylor, everyone – for Memphis, all Memphis fans can can give them a little bit of love because they're nine yards combined rushing in the final minute and a half of the football game was the difference maker to go from negative rushing yards in, in the whole entire game to positive rushing yards. So a big tip of the cap to Brandon Thomas and Tim Taylor for Memphis, not kind of – because that would be something that would 
definitely be talked about. Yes, it's awesome to hold them in single digits, but if you hold a team to negative rushing yards, as dynamic of an offense that they are, whew, that'd be think, a lot of tweets going out about that one. Do you think they call him Tim the Toolman Taylor? Woo-hoo-hoo. A little. I, I saw that's coming back. I think they're they're doing a remake of the show. It is, but let's not get too far into that. Yeah, we're not going to get too far into that one. But in the end, I'm you know, I'm just going to come out and I'm going to say it, Aaron. In the end, it looks like you know I I guess we got a walkthrough at Nippert after all. Kudos, Spence. Kudos. That was a fantastic tweet. Obviously taken down, uh, but you know all the talk surrounding the the whole walkthrough situation and 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 the plush indoor practice facility that Cincinnati is able to work at work out at and and you know the the parking lot situation that Memphis had to really you know happened to, to, to focus on when they arrived into Cincinnati around five o'clock on Friday. I, you know, it's, it's just, those are just the added storylines that just aid to a thrilling 49 to 10 victory. Aaron, I, you know, it's during these segments, we kind of say, take a step back and say, okay, what needs fixed? I, it's hard to really break it down. It's really say what needs fixed. Well, this week we didn't have the issue that we had last week with the referees, at least in my opinion. I didn't really see a ton of issues as far as that went. But I do think that we we got to stop the big plays. Yeah. And I know that's me being nitpicky because here we are sitting at number six in a spot that I don't know that any of us actually expected us to be at even mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. Right. And when you're talking about being number six and you're talking about competing with the likes of the big three – being Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and the two teams above us being Georgia and and Notre Dame. And I got to be honest, if Florida comes out and beats Georgia this week, I don't know that the voters aren't going to end up putting Florida ahead of us. So I don't know if there's even any room for ground to be made up this week, regardless of what we end up doing in our own game. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right. But it's just, you know, I mean... This season's been crazy. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yes. And and you know, I I'm gonna also give a quick mention to the to the offensive line that you know we mentioned offense takes time, you know, to get the chemistry between quarterback and receiver. It, it also takes time on the offensive line because that's that's a unit that needs to be, you know, a cohesive unit. They need to be able to, to communicate with each other very well. And, you know, you've really seen the play of Jake Renfro and Dylan O'Quinn step up. I, I, I mean, Jake Renfro was mano a mano with possibly the best defender on Memphis and, and O'Brien Goodson the entire game. O'Brien Goodson came into this game with having four sacks on the season. He just finished a nine tackle game with six solo tackles against Temple the last game out. He had uh, you know, six tackles for loss on the year. Uh, this is a really good nose tackle going up against a true freshman. And Jake Renford did a fantastic job against him. You know, only gave up three tackles, one solo tackle. There was only one tackle for loss, which is on a, on a rushing attempt that maybe only lost one yard. And, you know, it, it just speaks of, of, the talent that has been brought into the offensive line room. And you really heard that in the BCJ podcast with Kyle Trout. And I suggest you go back and listen to it because it's a, it's a fantastic one, but the play of the offensive line, the five of those players are really starting to gel. And when you have players, you know, like, like a Jeremy Cooper and like a Jakari Robinson who are also available to play, and I'm sure will be continued to be rotated in when need be. And it's, 
it's a luxury. I, I keep saying it, a luxury that not many teams have. Absolutely. You know, and you look at those final stat lines of Memphis and you see two sacks, four tackles for a loss by comparison to Cincinnati's stat line on the defensive line. And I think you see there was a lot of battles won in the trenches on yep. both sides of the ball. You There's know, no doubt. Kind of to reemphasize your point. So, you know, you know, you see James Hudson out there. He's not letting anybody get by. No. I mean, he's a monster out he's there. A beast. And you a see beast. him out there. You see him out there, even when the offense isn't on the field, he's out there just high-fiving guys coming back from defense. And, you know, yep. not having the fans in the stands this year especially, it's so good to see guys on the team hyping everybody up and seeing yep. James Hudson in his first action this year with, with Cincinnati. It's just – I mean, it, it really warms my heart, I, honestly. <laughs> like, I don't, right. I don't, I I don't know how else to say it, really. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, like like Chad said, this team's having fun, and, and James Hudson is the epitome of that. You just see the thrill that he has on the field and the, the happiness that he has been playing with, and it's just fantastic. But, you know, they, they got through those back-to-back very tough games. Now Houston comes into town at 3.30 this Saturday. We're going to be talking about that all throughout the week on Bearcat Journal. But let's take a dive around the age. I, you know, I think we covered every base on that SMU game. Pardon me, off that Memphis game. Memphis, just, just fantastic. I, you know, they. It's hard not to walk away from that game with just a huge smile on your face if you are a Cincinnati fan, if you cover the Bearcats at all. I, they, they are, they simply are doing everything and doing it very, very well. You walk with a little bit bigger of a chest. You walk just a little prouder. A little happier, a little, little bit more in your step than maybe you yeah. would have otherwise. I mean, it wasn't like we just eked by. We, we put on a performance. Yeah. We did right. what we needed to do against the number 26 team in yeah. the nation. And yeah. I will take credit for, for that 26. <laughs> if it's not top 25. Right. I don't know. I, I feel good going, you know, going against Houston back in net. So a dive around the AAC, Aaron. You you do your do a great job on on the you know, rewind of the AAC and I think the officials the referees in the AAC rewound and fast forwarded and rewound and fast forwarded probably about thirty different times and still could not get two plays right at the end of the Tulsa ECU game the Pirates they did not get their booty they fall. 34 to 30, but Aaron, there's a lot of uh, talk around this one. They got hosed on about four different calls there in the last drive. Yeah. There was, it it was absolute madness on catches that weren't catches, but ruled catches. Right. Even in the replay, even after review, I don't understand how you get reviews wrong. That's the whole point. It's, It's 2020. We have HD. We're not looking at like, I don't know what they're doing out there, man. And how about the it's fumble? Embarrassing for the fumble. Everything is a mess right now with AAC referees. It really makes the entire conference look terrible. They had a game taken from them. Tulsa should right. not have won this game. Honestly, as a Cincinnati fan, I'm totally okay if Tulsa wins out and we beat <laughs> another top 25 team. Exactly. ECU wasn't really going to do anything the rest of the year anyway. Let's be completely honest. They could have hung their cap on a win. Their coach can still tell the kids, hey, you guys won this game. You know you won this game, right? But it looks horrible for the entire conference. 
And we cannot continue to put referees out there who honestly don't look like they even know what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had I, the same issue last week with SMU. It, like you said, it, it does kind of give a black eye to the conference because obviously you're, you're trying to raise your, your brand and really support yourself with, with saying, Hey, you know, the AAC is power six conference, the power six, you know, they, it, it, it's constantly talked about, with you know Michael Resco and and everyone saying you know pledging that they are a power five they are the power six conference so you know when you have that it kind of you know people are saying it's a clown show the the referees are a clown show that but one thing that I did like about it kind of raised a little bit of awareness for this Bearcat team kind of saying okay ECU is someone not to take lightly Correct. you know they were 18 and a half dogs point dogs against Tulsa and they hung with them probably should have won the game as well but That'll be a fun one to watch when ECU comes to town because Cincinnati remembers last year and they now see this. Before we move on, though, I did want to say the AAC did the right thing by yeah. issuing an apology. Right. However, again, that just it, – it looks bad. You can't yeah. just issue these apologies. Start taking people's jobs or taking them off crews. Like, you cannot continue to let this be an issue, especially in the SMU game when you had – trying to review a play the after the play has already been right just completely mind-boggling what they're trying to do that was bad that was very bad and and everyone was so sleepy so tired it was so late at night people who had been drinking had been drinking for about 13 hours at that point so i think uh they're kind of like what is going on i am i I am too out of my own mind for for what's going (laughs) on in this smu game right now but either way tulsa pulls out the victory they continue to, to win games, and, and it should be a dandy at the end of the year against Cincinnati. But Tulane, walloping Temple, 38-3. to Aaron, wow. What happened to the Owls? They, the Temple, I, I don't think Temple knows who they are this year. I don't know who Temple is. Covering the AAC, they, they continue to surprise me on both sides, winning and losing. Games yep. I think they're going to win, they don't end up winning. Games I think they're going to lose, they don't end up losing. Temple's a weird, weird team this year. On the other side of that, though, Tulane looks to have really found their quarterback in freshman Michael Pratt. He continues to put up impressive numbers. 205, I know that's not super impressive, but it got the job done. He went 12-21 with two touchdowns and a pick. Um, but the big day for, for Tulane was the run game. They ended up with 284 yards, outshining their 220 in the air as they did have a senior who came in and threw one pass for 15 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're running the ball very, very well. They have three different running backs, including the quarterback, um, Michael Pratt, who had over 10 carries and they all went over 50 yards each. So Pratt ended up adding another touchdown there. Tulane just got the job done. And th- that's not something they've been able to say really in a whole lot this season. So it's, you know, they're sitting at three and four, Temple at one and three. I don't know. I don't think any of these teams are really anything that Cincinnati is going to have to worry about this season, but they're putting pieces together where they may actually be contenders in the future. And Anthony Russo was out of the game with an injury, the quarterback for Temple. So that also had something to do with it. So how the hell is Anthony Russo still the quarterback at Temple? (laughs) <laughs> you know he's one of those one of those all uh you know super 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 senior and brady, that, brady white thinks he's been there a long time <laughs> right <laughs> so does so so does shane bichelle 
<laughs> what the hell? You guys are kidding. Don't forget, none of these guys lose a year of eligibility this year. Yeah. He took over for PJ Jackson. PJ Jackson graduated in like 2015. Tim crazy. Adams used to write about PJ Jackson. It's crazy. I don't know. It's <laughs> 2020 COVID. Who knows? That's where we are. <laughs> no, believe me. When I saw did, Russo, did they did they give him an extra year before the season even started for COVID? I think they did. I think they did. They, they were like, "Look, eh, <laughs> screw it. You can come back." Anthony Russo, you got to be kidding me. Pulled a Ben Mock. Oh, baby, that's a name. Uh, ben Mock didn't get the extra year. I they, know they, he didn't. They mixed it, but he got God. it. <laughs> Yo, I imagine if Ben would have gotten that extra year. He was he was a thrill to watch. But Bionic anyway. Arm. Temple, uh, Temple. Ooh, I'm sure they're going to look different when they play against Cincinnati, and I'm sure that'll be a tough game on the road. But they really look bad against Tulane. Uh, Central Florida flexing against Houston. Houston's offense leaves a lot to be desired. We're going to kind of touch on you know the Cougars a lot this week, leading up to the game on Saturday. But kind of what did you see in that that Central Florida Houston game? Dylan Gabriel, another 300-yard game, ends up with uh, 328 on 19 to 33 with two touchdowns. Yep, he's the truth, man. I I would, I'd love to see Desmond hitting 300-yard games, and right. Dylan Gabriel continues to do it week in and week out. Uh, but this week, you also saw Otis Anderson rush for 170 yards. Oof. You all, <laughs> you also saw Greg McRae rush for 107 yards. Good news is both those guys are seniors. Um, bad news is, again, 2020 COVID, no one loses eligibility. So who knows what we have next year? Um, but they each got a score. Um, and then uh, they also had another running back who ended up with Ventavius Thompson. He ended up with 87 yards on eight carries for a touchdown himself. So they did it on in, both in the air and on the ground, as they always do. Yep. Uh, when when they're winning games anyway, and they went for uh, almost 700 yards in offense. Yeah, it was so. it was a 23 to seven lead for for UCF after two quarters, and you know Clayton Tune two touchdowns. I pardon me, one touchdown but two interceptions. I yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do when they come into town this weekend, and then of course SMU bouncing back in a big way, taking down Navy, kind of kind of making easy work of that one. Uh, Navy put up 20 points in the fourth quarter to kind of make the score look a little closer than it should and and got the backdoor cover as well. So, uh, you know, 51 to 37, Shane Bichelle, 300 yards, three touchdowns. SMU seems to be back and they are going to continue to stay ranked. And hopefully for for the AAC, they uh, they ride that wave uh, until they play Tulsa. Ulysses Bentley's back as well as he ended up going 25 carries for 149 yards and two scores. Mm-hmm. And that was a guy that we bottled up real bad. Yeah, we did. Uh, so around, around the country, if you listened to me, Bearcats best bets last week, you would have won a little bit of money. Texas goes into Stillwater and pulls out the victory 41 to 34. All right. All right. All right. Aaron. That I was is what we way needed. off on my Michigan, Michigan state. <laughs> you were don't worry, don't worry about it. you didn't even need to bring it back up but but hey how how about that all right all right all right Matthew McConaughey is making his rounds of across all of the different podcasts left and right because he's got things coming out his memoir is out and he's going to add this big win for Texas on the road at Stillwater to the list and it also now puts the big 12 
completely out of the college football playoff picture. Cincinnati moves up in that spot at number six in the nation. Other than that, it's kind of, uh, you know, Clemson had a little bit of an interesting game without Trevor Lawrence pulling out the 34 to 28 victory against Boston college in the second half comeback. Then this weekend against Notre Dame, there will be, uh, we've already been told there's no Trevor Lawrence that will be playing in South Bend against the Irish Aaron might be a little bit of a shakeup in the top five. I mean, you could say that, but I think at the same time, I think voters are going to go with because of COVID again, like I hate bringing up COVID. Right. I don't, I don't know that the voters with, with Trevor Lawrence being out because of COVID are right. actually going to knock Clemson if they lose a game and the true freshman found a way to win this week. Yeah. So who's to say they even lose? And he's, that, he's a beast. I mean, he didn't look like he lost a beat. The offense didn't look like they lost a beat at all. I'm not going to try and say his name. It's, it can't be worse than Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, Tua Tagovailoa. Hey, DJ Oagalalele. There you go. I we, tried. Ought to, we ought to baby eat a boy. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> – That'll be another one of those games. I, you know, I think if Clemson were to lose to Boston College, that's that's when people will start to say, okay, interesting, uh, maybe slide them a little bit because it is Boston College. But when it's a team like Notre Dame on the road, I'm siding with you on that one where I don't think they'll get docked too much if a loss does happen. But that'll be a fun one to watch. Ohio State, of course, had a, a victory over Penn State, 38-25. to 25. They had some, some possible COVID situations going on with their – team as well but that that'll be an interesting thing to monitor in the big 10 uh whether how, how they are going to be able to stack up as many games needed to to qualify for the big 10 championship with six games needed so uh wisconsin facing dilemmas but right now you see the ohio state buckeyes firmly as the number three team in the country firmly going to be continuing to to stake their claim as as one of the top four teams for the college football playoffs but this week, Bearcats best bets. Cincinnati opens up as a ten and a half point favorite. Aaron, it's a twelve and a half right now. Oh, it's already up, huh? Yep. I'm hammering it. I was going to say at ten and a half, absolutely you take it. If you see it fall back down, I think you take it again. Even at twelve and a half, I'm still taking it. I think we, yep. I think we have at least two scores in us on this, if not more. Um, I'd even be okay at 14 and a half to be completely honest with you. I think we take this by probably 15 or better. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm taking the Bearcats all day long, especially if the, if the offense continues to hit on all cylinders the way they have been the last two weeks. SMU temple. That line is now, yeah, I, I imagine it's going to be SMU a couple touchdowns, Memphis, South Florida, 17 and a half for Memphis. I like it. I think, I think they're going to bounce back in a big way. Same way that you've seen UCF bounce back. Same way that you've seen SMU bounce back. None of these teams like losing. Right. And, you know, I don't think you're going to see two in a row by anybody. Tulane ECU, Tulane three-point favorites. I, how is that even possible after a 38-3 to three victory against Temple? But either way. Uh, it's, it's moved to three and a half, but at the same time, we've talked about this even on this podcast. ECU puts up numbers. They do yeah. continue to put up numbers. Even if they can't finish a game, they put up numbers. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I probably take Tulane on that, but it, it may be close. Tulsa, 10-point favorites at Navy. 
you got to go against Tulsa right now until, yeah. especially Navy. Again, Navy is a running first team. This week they decided to pass the ball. They had two quarterbacks over 100 yards, which is very strange. Right. Uh, but no, I, I think you take Tulsa and again for selfish reasons. It's because I, I we need Tulsa to win out. That way, it looks that much better at the end of the season. And then around the country, you've got Clemson. Six and a half point favorites is what I saw against Notre Dame in South Bend. That That is an interesting one right off the bat. Clemson, again, until they get Trevor Lawrence back, it's going to be weird. Uh, right now, they sit at seven points. So I don't, people say that Notre Dame isn't for real, and they continue to say that the big three. I don't know. This is a chance for Notre Dame to come out and really show the nation if they're for real or not, even though they are technically in a conference this year. Um, I don't know. I, I still think after the display that we saw in their freshman quarterback, I think Clemson takes the seven and runs with it. Alabama has a bye. Ohio State pretty much has a bye against Rutgers as well. And then Florida. Florida, Florida could be a fan favorite for the Bearcats if they are able to travel to Georgia and take down the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs only four and a half point favorites. Huh. I don't know. I feel so torn on this game because let me ask you this. If Florida wins this game as the number eight team, I'm the same thing upsets Georgia, do right. we have an opportunity to jump either of these teams? See, that's what I was thinking as well. Uh, you know, and then it becomes the whole the whole transitive property because you know Florida lost to Texas A and M, but they Texas beat A&M. Missouri on the field with their fists. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. That was crazy. <laughs> but you know, and and then you look at you know the the SEC is going to beat each other up. Mm-hmm. You just have to hope that in the end, the the team left standing is going to be, you know hopefully just an undefeated Alabama. And then after that, hopefully all just two losses for everyone else. It just bothers me even more so than this game. The fact that we're being mentioned in the same breath with BYU who has yet to play really anybody. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I I think, I think my money's with Georgia. The the only team they've lost to this season so far is Alabama. And until they lose to anybody else, I think I'm still going to go, even at four and a half points, I'm still going with Georgia, but it could go either way. But whatever team wins is probably going to be the team above us before we jump into that top five. It'll be, it'll be a fun game to watch. My Bearcat best bet. I'm hammering the Bearcats. And then give me Clemson with the six and a half. I, I like, I'll go Clemson. Told you it's a seven now. Sure. Take, Give me at seven. seven. Give oh. me at seven. Oh. I'll push. I'll push if I need to. Oh. But, you know, uh, as you mentioned, BYU also facing a tough one this weekend against Boise State, their their hardest game of the season, more than likely, I believe. They have one other game against San Diego State later in the season, which, you know, saying those names, it's like, okay, I mean, yeah, interesting. But it'll be a good barometer to see how BYU does against them. It also kind of stinks that BYU really ransacked Navy in one of the first games of the season because that kind of doesn't give really a black eye to the AAC, but it kind of does because if, if people are going to try and break it down, they're going to say, oh, well, Navy is in the AAC. Look at what BYU did to Navy. But either way, we'll be able to see a lot about 
BYU after this weekend when they face Boise State? For whatever it's worth, they're opening up – or not opening up, but as of now, they're only two-and-a-half-point favorites over Boise State. So yeah, hmm. that should be interesting. Interesting. So quick, quick look at football recruiting. Um, you know, uh, around the, the, the players, little recruit, recruit recap, Ooh, that was tough to get out, but <laughs> I used to Jarman LaSalle high school, six tackles and a fumble recovery in the win against Anderson that they now play in the regional championship game against undefeated nine and oh, Winton woods this weekend. So that should be an exciting affair. I know you're not from Cincinnati, but you got to say Winton woods, right? As Winton they were, Woods. they were. It's Win Woods. Okay, Win Woods. That's how they say it. This weekend, Win Woods. This weekend, so it should be an <laughs> exciting game. Um, Omarion Smith had a, had another good, great game. And if you watch his tape, he shed. He was shedding blocks against a wishbone offense and making great tackles in that win. Luke Collinsworth's career comes to an end at East Central with the loss to Mooresville, who's one of the better teams in the state of Indiana. So no, no hanging of the cap, but you know, it's, it's 36 to 28. Uh, Miles Montgomery. How about this? So COVID stipulations down in Florida has really taken over Fletcher Duncan high school. And so Fletcher now has two games this upcoming week. They have a Monday night game against first coast. And then they played this fr- Friday as well against Mandarin trying to squeeze in these games. And then after that, the playoffs begin. So Miles Montgomery, the star running back, Recruit for the Bearcats will be back in action tomorrow night. Caleb Schmitz, another fantastic game, five receptions, 142 yards, two touchdowns, four tackles on defense. I mean, that's a wild and, game. I mean, he, yeah. he averaged almost 30 yards a catch. Yeah. And if you see him, he 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 looks big. He looks like a big tight end. And I mean, he's moving well. He's working on his his receiving skills, his route running. I'm very interested to see what the staff decides to do with Caleb Schmitz at the next level. Uh, Jalen Monroe had a sack in the win against uh, who they played this past week in Lake Central. Now they will be playing Merrillville and ex-Bearcat commit JoJo Johnson. So that'll be a chance for, for Monroe to come out on top of that one. And then the big news, really, though, this last week was the commitment, the first commit of the 2022 class, and that is Mumu bin Wahad, and he commits to the Bearcats. Then that really created quite a stir on social media, Aaron, as all of a sudden everyone started tweeting about getting offers from Cincinnati. And then before you know it, the Savage Seven. Did you see the picture? Oh, it's fantastic. Yes. The Savage Seven is starting to get a lot of talk around around social media and around recruiting with Mumu bin Wahad, Melvin Jordan, who is a four-star outside linebacker, Samuel Mbake, who is another big-time wide receiver, Chad Masco, a quarterback, Randy Bobo Masters, who is a very good wide receiver who just decommitted from Baylor. He's from Ooh. Texas, decommitted from Baylor, and there's a lot of smoke surrounding his recruitment to Cincinnati. We saw Steve Wilkfong with a, an article about him and his connection, how much he likes the Cincinnati staff and their genuine you know, attitude that they have. Just your average uh, Cincinnati-Oregon recruiting battle for a four-star wide receiver from Texas. Right. Who just decommitted from Baylor. Yeah. I mean, you know, these things happen. 
a Texas wide receiver <laughs> that decommitted from Baylor and now has a lot of smoke with Cincinnati. How about that? Yeah. I just, I guess I, the thing that surprises me the most and the thing that I kind of want to gloat about is the fact that Cincinnati's getting these guys against other teams in their own conference coming out of Houston, especially with yeah. SMU. SMU's right there. Houston's right there. Look, man. Look, man. There is a lot of smoke behind the Bearcats right now. It, look, there is. Boys. The, I mean, look, look what the last two weeks have done for this team on national television, yep. playing, you know, completely lights out. Like the, the Mumu Bin Wahad thing. You didn't see the deal? He watched them play SMU and he saw the, the corners, how they played against SMU. And he went, Yep, that's what I want to do. Like, th- th- you know, and, and and also don't underestimate this team is um, they're they're utilizing the look. You yes. know the 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 uniforms in at SMU the uniform combo was fire. They go black red black. Ooh, that was so nice. Which Ooh. is a top three combo for me. Black 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 right. Number one for me. That's number one. Black black black. Black, red, black might be number two. It was yeah. fire. Black, red, black might be number two. Uh, I, I love, I love black helmets, white tops, black bottoms on the I road. Fix the sleeves on the red jersey. Yeah, so it doesn't have the uh, the building anymore. It's it's got the actual like sea paw. The sea paw. Yeah. The only thing, I, it's a little repetitive with the sea paw on the sleeve and the helmet right next to each other. Yeah. Um, Still look, but I, I, it, it didn't look bad. I just I, that might that would be my only like small gripe with this version, yeah, uh, of the red. But they are showcasing themselves at an elite level. They are taking advantage of exposure. Yep. That number next to your name. Right. And getting the hype nationally that this team seems to be getting. And and we're in an era right now where kids are looking at this stuff and saying, man, I want to be a little different. Yes. I, I don't want to do what everybody is doing. Which I don't, is, you know. They were all tweeting that. Uh, you yeah. Know, all these players, uh, Melvin Jordan went to Twitter and, and you know, Jaylen, James Mons went to Twitter. And, you know, these these players are like, you know, I, I uh, you know, Melvin, it, they, they said, I, I've always wanted to maybe be a little different. I've always thought it'd be cool to be different. So, you know, like you said, you have the rock tweeting at, at, at Cincinnati, you have, right. you know, people getting <laughs> heavily, uh, you have big cat over at Barstool who has a monster following in this age, you know, demographic. And he's starting to, to mention Cincinnati more. And when, when you have that ability to be in the top 10 play on national well, TV, the way that they are, the exposure is just amazing, and it helps recruit. Here's the other thing I think is important that I don't think is being talked about much. When UCF had this much momentum, yeah, it was seen as a gimmick, right? It right. was seen as um, kind of a one-trick pony. You know, the the they they it wasn't sustainable um, because it was it was all offense. You know, it was it was completely reliant, I think, on Scott Frost on that offensive mind. Now, don't get me wrong. All of this is uh, not only relying on Luke Fickle, but Marcus Freeman. But there's nothing about this that is UCF was corny, right? Yeah. Their fan base was corny. Like their, their national their, championship. No, I don't I don't think they're, na- they're like they they there was a, a 
uh, poll that's recognized by the NCAA, not a poll, but a, a metric. Crowned the national championship. That crowned them the national championship. Guess what? Like, that's how we did this shit. Sorry, Dan. That's how we did this for a hundred years, right? Like every metric out there, the crowned the national champion. If you, if you were named the national champion, you claim the national champion. I don't think that part was corny. Um, I think the way that they reacted to it was corny. And I, I, I just think a lot of people looked at it as phony, as fake, right? As, as it, I don't see anybody looking at Cincinnati and going, uh, this isn't sustainable. I see them looking at it and going, oh, man, Luke Fickle's building a monster at yeah. Cincinnati. Like, this is sustainable. This is real. This is uh, NFL caliber talent on defense yep. you know you're looking at outside of the collins kid from uh tulsa yeah they have the best two defensive linemen in the conference mm-hmm. Jarrell is either the first or second best linebacker in the conference right and they have the best corner in the conference, maybe the best safety in the conference, if not two of the top three or four safeties in the conference. Yeah. Like this, this isn't, um, this isn't built like a house of cards. That's just waiting to crumble. This is built for sustainability. And I think kids are looking at this and going, I want me some of that. They're for real. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and and that type of momentum is real. Yeah. And I think we're going to, you know, we're, Five, six weeks from sorry, Brent, I don't mean to keep cutting you off. No, you're good. No. We're five or six weeks from signing day for 2021. Okay. There's a lot of momentum building for that. And there is incredible momentum building for 2022, where there's gonna be kids that are gonna be jumping on board here, I think, uh, between now and you know, as this regular season wraps up, because I I, I just think the the G five stigma right now with Cincinnati is gone. It's I can go to Cincinnati and accomplish everything I want to accomplish. And um, that's powerful, man. Yeah. And, and you see it every time that these recruits talk about the coaching staff, most importantly, talk about how genuine they are and what they say. And when you listen to what Luke Fickle says, and mainly when you listen to what Marcus Freeman says is that it's like, you know, why, why can't you win a national championship at Cincinnati? Why can't, you achieve all of this greatness at Cincinnati. And I think right. that with Luke staying, I think that with, with Marcus staying for, you know, for the time being, I, I don't want to say too much about that because I, a lot of things can change, but I think that it's showing, Hey, you know what, this, this elite level people can stay. And that's why you see, you know, another player who tweeted out saying that he's committing on this Saturday and he's a high level player. And all of a sudden, everyone's starting to like say, you know, it's looking like maybe Cincinnati. So it's, you know, and is a quite a lot, lot, pardon me. So, like you said, the coaching staff is speaking it, and then everything that follows is just validity of it. You know, you know who deserves a, a tip of the cap? Who's that? My man, my man Perry Eliano deserves yeah. a tip of the cap. I mean, that is a guy that has hit the ground running. Not yep. only are the corners playing at a high level, but he's recruiting. He, yep. I mean, Mubu Ben Wahad, um, that one kind of happened fast, so I had to, to jump in and handle that one. Uh, and then talking to Mumu, 
it was all about his relationship with Perry Eliano. I mean, he talked about uh, building a good relationship with Freeman as kind of like a secondary deal, but it was more about coach Eliano came in and, and showed me the way and I want to get on board and he opens up a different, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out um, the, the, the connection for all these kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, They all, I believe play seven on seven, a seven on seven team out of Houston. Yeah. Yeah. But they're all over ones in Houston, ones in California, ones in Georgia, ones in Florida. Like, I don't know if they're all originally from Texas or if this AA or this, you know, seven on seven program is just awesome. (laughs) And kids come from all over the country to play for him. Um, I'm still working on that, but coach Eliano has ties to Texas from coaching in the Southwest Mm -hmm. and he has ties in the South. And, you know, if you're introducing, and I've always, because of the way this conference is constructed, why wouldn't you recruit Texas? Right. Yeah. Right. You've got Houston, you've got SMU you've got Tulsa in that region. Like you're going to give the kids a chance to go play close to their home. And Texas is a state with a ton of talent. If you're going to dip your toes into Georgia, you're going to dip your toes into Florida. Let's get a guy that might be able to, yeah. Like get a guy that might be able to dip his toes into Texas and, and find some of that talent in a talent rich state that wants to, to do something different. Now, Texas is always hard because you've got Baylor and A&M and tech and Texas and, Right. You know, Oklahoma recruits a ton in the state and, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy nut to crack, but I, coach Eliano, I think deserves a lot of credit for coming into this situation and saying, I'm hitting the ground running. Like, yeah. let's go. I got a chance to recruit really good talent to Cincinnati. Let's recruit some really good talent to Cincinnati. And so far he has done so. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been interesting to watch as, as the brand grows. Right. Yes. Aaron, Aaron, how about this quote, Aaron? Yeah. I feel like I can lead the best of the best to come to Cincinnati so we can win a national championship. That's if we don't win one this year first. Go Bearcats. And who's that from? When when you're 20 when the first commit of the 2022 class throws that quote out there, man, that's that's fire. People are drinking that Kool-Aid, man, and it tastes really, really good. <laughs> and I think you saw a lot of love even earlier today, too, with uh, Shimon Mattire. Uh, he was talking about how much love he has for UC as well yeah. on Twitter. You know, I mean, you follow yeah. some of these recruits, and they are absolutely in love with the season, and they're not even here. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the greatest part about it is, like, these guys are not even here, and they're enjoying the season so much, as we all are from afar because we can't actually be at the game. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's it's so encouraging to see. And even if we end up with, you know, two of these guys, you're looking at it, you know, kind of go back through that rundown of the Savage 7, you know, without mentioning names, three-star, four-star, 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 three-star, three-star. If we get two, three of those guys, yep. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. All on some, you know, Chad brought up the word gimmicky, and it kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily love like this Savage Seven stuff, but you know right. it is what it is. You know, it, I'm I'm in love with the, the fact that these kids are giving us a shot, <laughs> all because you know Moo Moo gave us a shot. So you know, kudos to them. Um, you know, continue to put these kids in uniforms and uh, 
picture, that's fine. We'll, we'll all eat it up as fans anyway. So, uh, no, it's it's we're building a culture here. The only thing that scares me is the fact that, you know, Alpha in the room is we could end up losing Marcus Freeman next year. Well, let's let's just enjoy it for the time being, right? But you know, it's 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 awesome to have this kind of momentum, and and hopefully we'll be firing up the oven and uh, pouring out some nice glass of uh, tasty milk here with big names to follow in the uh, in the near future. But as far as basketball goes, um, we'll kind of wrap up with this. Not not too much has happened. We saw John Brandon had a couple of, of cameos, both on, you know, with uh, with himself having a sit down with Dan Horde and, of course, with kind of a media day with the uh, media, just kind of a back and forth. And then Keith Williams, who looked really comfortable and really awesome and ready for a big year. And then Chris Boat as well. It, it kind of just had brought a lot of more excitement to the basketball team. And of course, I, I, I think Chad is working on, hopefully I, you know, trying to get, get more information as far as, uh, you know, how the team's looking leading up to hopefully the beginning of, uh, of the season uh, the day before Thanksgiving and, and through that weekend. So, you know, a lot of excitement I'll, around that as well. I'll just let you know, you have a head coach that uh, knows he's going into the season sight unseen. Right. There's not going to be any video. There's not going to be any uh, exhibition games. There's not going to be any super secret scrimmages to talk about. So getting him to talk about what practice has been like um, (laughs) sounds a lot like when I try to pry him for information on a podcast and he just laughs at me. Right. So just know it it has been very similar uh, behind the scenes as well. That is not an act. Uh, He loves to laugh at my questions and then not answer them. No, like when... Chad, so sorry when 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 Fickle tries to say uh, CFP college football playoffs and he says oh PDF what is that a PDF kind of like that as well right Chad? <laughs> yeah, those two. Uh, I think they have meetings every day on how to stonewall the media. Like what what's going to be the funniest way to do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Now, are you sure you were talking to Coach John Brandon and not Mamadou? Because they're eerily <laughs> similar. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was a great that- picture. That one Halloween, that was that was the best one I saw UC related this year. Fantastic. Sure. But yeah, I, you know, a lot of excitement around the team. And Aaron, I I do want to have just just a full like thirty minute pod part of a pod where we just kind of break down the team, maybe even longer. Um, hopefully, maybe the uh, the ECU after the ECU game, if if that one goes swimmingly and and, and easily, maybe we can kind of kind of really break it down there right before the uh, the beginning of the season. But a lot of excitement around the team. Um, it seems like, you know, my favorite thing of what John Brandon said is that usually at this point of the preseason, he he hates his team. This one he doesn't. <laughs> this one he loves them. And, and that just speaks to the potential that this team has and, and really the chip on their shoulder that, that they're going to play with after being voted fourth in the AAC preseason poll. If they aren't playing with a chip on their shoulder right now, then these dudes are never going to play with a chip on their shoulder. That said, I loved the Keith Williams quote that I saw this week about how Mikey Saunders is maybe the fastest kid on the team and he blinks and all of a sudden he's from at the arc to under the hoop. He's, I don't know. I I met that kid at uh, some of the UC games, uh, football games, and uh, just kind of got to 
discuss things one-on-one with him for a little bit. Um, not anything crazy, but I mean, he just seems like a good kid with a good head on his shoulders. Yep. And I'm really excited to see what that kid actually brings to this team. And he's already got my outside. It's between him and Tari Eason. I don't know which is my favorite player going into this year, but uh, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll figure it out. An, another thing to touch on is, is that John Brandon did mention with the sit down with Dan Horde that Zach Harvey is yet to practice. So that's something to monitor as well leading up to the beginning of the season. So that could mean early minutes for, you know, uh, Gabe Madsen could, could mean added minutes for Jeremiah Davenport could also mean that you're going to see, you know, kind of like a, a, a two, three guard with, with Mike Adams Woods and David Julius and Keith Williams playing a lot of minutes at the one, two, three. So, um, of course, we're going to talk way, you know, so much more about basketball because although football is is in the forefront and it is fantastic, Bearcat basketball, Bearcat basketball is is second to none. It it is a one A one B for all Bearcat fans, and this basketball team in year two under John Brandon has a lot of promise. And I have I'm honestly very high on them. I think they are getting overlooked, and I think it's a really good thing at this point of the season leading up to it, that they are getting overlooked and kind of uh, not really the amount of love. Yes, it, it is understandable with the losses of Jaron Cumberland, with the losses of Trey Scott, but I am, I'm high on them. I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an exciting year. We will definitely do a much deeper dive. Yes. Than this. We shall. We yes, shall. Sir. Any, anything else before we close up, Chad, you got anything for us? I'm think I'm thinking. What do you think about it? Like a roundtable show where we just get all of us together for basketball and do like a a deep dive basketball podcast with everybody. Oh, I'd love it. I'd so love it. In. All right, like a our first crossover. Yeah, the Let's BCJ pod, the BBP pod. Uh, yeah, I, I I haven't talked to to our board Ber- Bergie in a little while, so yeah, uh, I don't I don't know what the the Berg family is. Uh, up for at the moment but maybe get him if we could and you're not gonna invite that guy justin williams are you screw that guy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, kidding kidding i love him so much chad chad one last thing though how awesome was it at nippert when when the the game was kind of dwindling down after the uh, second drone Ford touchdown blasting on the speakers all walking in memphis the stadium is walking in memphis i i loved it uh dj train was was E-train. on one D, dj he was on one the entire game the the music <laughs> selection was fire like uh, ucla last year it, it was beautiful he, he he did some can't touch this after the i think it was after the first ford touchdown <laughs> um and i was doing the hammer dance yeah. Uh, oh, oh, like down the down the 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 back of the end zone. That <laughs> if it would have been caught on camera, definitely would have gone viral. It's not the gritty, <laughs> but uh, it was it was something a little before the gritty uh, became a thing. Um, <laughs> no, it was you know it's it, it the, actually I I will give in the you know we're a long way into this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. I will give UC a lot of credit for. Um, at least try, you know, they've made it pretty clear. They're not going to open it up, um, for fans in the stands, but they did open it up and let in, uh, parents 
and uh, family members, or I don't know how many tickets they got. I'm guessing it was probably two each, but maybe four uh, for the um, band, the cheer and the dance team. Yep. And that provided some atmosphere in that end zone that is usually uh, reserved for students. I would like to have seen if it was a little bit of a closer game, how much difference that would have made. Mm-hmm. Uh, with them creating some uh, some environment. And then uh, up in the club sections, they let in all of the student athletes. Yep. So you had, you know, the volleyball team, the men's basketball team, um, and all those uh, groups sitting up in the, the club seats where the club seats normally are. So at least, and I, I believe they actually expanded the number of uh, members that were in the band as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was also told, and I, I have to do some more digging on this. Um, initially players were allowed four tickets, uh, yeah. for their family. I was told that was expanded. Uh, I yeah. don't know what it was expanded to. Darian Beavers kind of touched on that. A yeah. Bit. He mentioned that in the, in the post-game press conference as well. It definitely um, looked, but the, what you could see from watching at home, it looked fuller than it has. Yeah. So at least, um, and it's interesting that the university hasn't communicated any of this, but at least it looked and had a little bit of a better feel. They also did a better job, I think, pumping in um, artificial crowd noise for this yeah. game. Uh, Aaron, I don't know how that came across on TV, if it sounded like. It, it sounded – well, we haven't had a game at Nipper in a while, so you definitely could hear some of the crowd noise. And I know, like, I sent a, a tweet earlier this season to E-Train because the commentators on TV were actually mentioning how much – how loud it was in the stadium with the crowd noise. So I think that Nipper actually has a pretty good handle on trying to pump that crowd noise in okay. with E-Train um, because it's been mentioned in the, in the telecast. I noticed it more at field level. Uh, this game than I did the other games. I want to try on my other podcast. I want to try and get a uh, E-Train booked actually to tr- just kind of pick his mind on what it's been like with the Bengals, with the Reds, with yeah. the Bearcats and just kind of see what any of that's been like, especially in a COVID. Great atmosphere. dude. Great yeah. dude. Um, I've, I've had the chance to meet him and talk to him a couple of times. Uh, really enjoy him. We usually uh, give each other the uh, distance like, sup bro. Right. <laughs> Uh, from where they've got him up in the stands. But, no, he did a really good job on Saturday. Uh, and then walking in Memphis was – I mean, that's a layup, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a layup. You're beating Memphis 49-10. to 10. Walking in Memphis is coming out. Like, Oh, yeah. What 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 would be that song for Cincinnati? God, what, it what? would it would have been so much better if he could have gotten it to say, like, walk through in Memphis. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Again, back – good job, Spence. Spencer, uh, yeah, long live O Varsity. Uh, <laughs> based on how quick that tweet came down, I don't think O Varsity is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, Unless what would be the, the job. What's, what's what's the song if you're if you're kicking Cincinnati's ass in the fourth quarter? I don't. Do you have to like? Do you have to dip down all the way to like the the WKRP theme? I guess it would depend on, like, how you're losing. Well, no, I'm saying if you're the home team and Cincinnati's the visitor and you're whipping Cincinnati's ass, what song do you play to, like, embarrass Cincinnati? I don't think there is. 
Living on the air in Cincinnati. <laughs> no, no, one, no one gets that reference. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's how far back we have to yeah, go for kids, like a Cincinnati song. The kids certainly don't get that reference. Maybe maybe the Skyline Chili theme song. Did uh, Nicholas did Nicholas Shea have a song where he was super sad? Yeah, but it, it, like it has to say Cincinnati, doesn't it? Like, how many people really know like Nick Lachey is? How many people know Nick Lachey exists well, at this point that. in time? Um, and then, if you heard ninety-eight degrees, how many people associate that with? Oh yeah, that, that's that, that's Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, we don't even claim ninety-eight degrees here. UC <laughs> does because he claims UC. I mean, when he was popular, <laughs> he still comes around. I, I, I haven't seen him be a prominent thing for like five years at a basketball game. Five years ago when he came to a basketball game, it was a big deal. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> but but lately he hasn't uh, seen New Fifth Third. Or no, new, and it or new no. Fifth, for that matter. And if he has, it has not been from the Oscar seats like in the past when he would show up yeah. and they would they would put him in the prime real estate. Well, Oscar doesn't even show up in the Oscar seats. That's why those seats are open, Aaron. <laughs> there's nobody sitting in them <laughs> that's i mean they put they what last year the year before they put troy and uh jake in those two seats in yeah. the oscar seats like yeah. that's the thing now those two seats are i think he still buys them yeah he just doesn't come to the games and sit sk in was sitting in them brandon phillips yeah, that, sat in them yeah several times so if you're if you're big money you're sitting in the oscar seats now and uh, Nick Lachey hasn't been in those Oscar seats. For, but I just don't know what song you play if you're trying to, like, mock Cincinnati. Yeah. It, whenever you're feeling good and hungry, it's skyline time. But nobody knows. Like, you only hear that if you live in Cincinnati. Yeah. 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 That commercial is not played in other markets. I'm, maybe, you know. Maybe in Florida. Maybe. Maybe, but like walking in Memphis, everybody knows walking in yeah. Memphis. I don't oh, know. Yeah. You got a Cincinnati song. Nothing, nothing would ever be worse than when they played Bulls on Parade while USF was stomping a mud hole in Cincinnati's ass <laughs> at Nippert <laughs> Stadium. What the hell were we thinking there? I don't know. Who thought that was appropriate? That's why that person doesn't work here anymore. Let's really piss off our fan base and play. And by the way, Bulls on Parade, phenomenal song. I'm a huge Rage Against the Machine guy. Yeah, just not in that situation. That was a bad time for Bulls on Parade. That's why E Train has the job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he would he would not have gone to walking in Memphis if Memphis was up forty nine to ten. I can assure you that. No. All right. Well, let, let's hear it in the comments. Is, is there a song that that a, a you know somebody could play to like punk Cincinnati? Because I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there is. I mean, we're going to have to get like a mainstream Cincinnati song. I don't even know if there's like an Ohio song in general. Can we write one, maybe? No. Uh, No, absolutely not. (laughs) 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 You you can try. Yeah, maybe. I've always thought of myself as a lyricist. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear your bars. Voice oh, of an man. angel mixed with Fergie. It's great. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Yeah, I uh, no, actually it's the voice of of McLovin mixed with uh, Mel Kiper. <laughs> yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, man, man, we gotta we gotta put it into this clown show, guys. We gotta put it into this clown show. But, yeah, uh, I, we have gone completely off the rails, and yeah. this podcast oh, has gone on way too long. Yeah, Thanks. but, Thanks, but it was it was fantastic. It was fantastic. But it was. You know, Aaron, Chad, anything less? We're gonna go ahead and shut this down. We all good? No, I've got another podcast I got to do uh, later this. Maybe two podcasts this week. I don't know. I might have two this week. Ooh, ooh. we'll see. Hey, hey, Yikes. keep it locked in. Keep it locked don't in. Know. Well, At I'm least one with Dave. At least one with Dave. What what'd you guys think of Kyle Trout? How was how was that one for you? He's great. I love Kyle Trout. Kyle I, Trout I, cracks me up. I love his inside uh, insider info on on Ron Crook. Now that, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron say, now, now that I'm on staff, I have to listen to these. Is that? I mean, I have to listen to you. Do you? Yes. <laughs> I think you tune me out half the time anyway. It's fine. I talk over you half the time when I that's, popped in. That's entirely <laughs> accurate. I mean, the thing he doesn't realize, I can see his facial reaction when I, I do, do realize too. that. I can see it, and he still does it. <laughs> he gives me one of these. He shakes his head a little bit. <laughs> Just depends on how much he's uh, enjoyed the Bengals game that afternoon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Thanks, Dad. Uh huh. All right. For for Chad Brendel, Aaron Smith, I am Brent Young. Yet again, that was the BBP here on BearcatJournal.com. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic week. See you.